the Emmy Award-winning television special, A Charlie Brown Christmas, based on the comic strip Peanuts by Charles M. Schulz, first aired in 1965. Since then, it has become a Christmas staple in America and aired on television every Christmas season for 56 years. Now, that is until Apple TV bought exclusive rights to all Peanuts-related media content in October 22. And now you can only stream it for free between December 22nd to December 25th, today, uh, without subscription. On its 40th television anniversary in 2005, USA Today summarized the program's appeal this way, and I quote, Scholars of pop culture say that shining through the program's skeletal plot is the quirky and sophisticated genius that fuel the phenomenal popularity of Schultz's work. Beyond its references to religion unheard of on television at the time, the special also marked for the first time children's voices in animated characters. Well, the plot of the mini-movie revolves around Charlie Brown, perplexed by his lingering dilemma. Despite all things he likes about the Christmas season, why is he still depressed? Christmas time is here, and Charlie Brown knows that he should be happy, but the fact of the matter is, he isn't. And he knows that commercialism is the problem. And after being mocked by his friends for being a party poop, when everybody else seems to be having a grand old time ice skating, Charlie Brown is driven to deeper discouragement and needing counseling from his friend Lucy's makeshift psychiatric booth. After diagnosing him with multiple diagnoses, Lucy eventually suggests Charlie Brown helps direct the group's annual Christmas play to get him involved to lighten up his mood. Well, Charlie Brown gets even more discouraged and depressed when he observes at the rehearsal more commercialization of Christmas and sees that the play is fit for a 1960s dance party. They're all dancing with lively music, and he discerns that it is entirely unfitting of the true Christmas spirit. And so in search of some Christmas spirit, he goes to look for a Christmas tree with his friend Linus, who many of you may know is never without his blue security blanket. And Charlie Brown and Linus returns to the rehearsal with the dinkiest sampling of a tree, which is, of course, met with much scorn by his friends. They had expected this large, bright, pink, aluminum tree, which was all the rage at the time. So downtrodden, Charlie Brown cries out in a loud voice, Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? And Linus responds, Sure, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. And that scene takes us to the scene which is the climax of the movie. So Linus takes center stage. He asks for the house lights to be dimmed, asks for a spotlight, and he begins to recite Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, fear not. And right there, Linus, who is never without his blue security blanket, Linus, who throughout the whole story, the comic of Peanuts, Lucy, Snoopy, Sally, and others, all worked to no avail to separate Linus from his blanket, who, although this blanket was a major source of ridicule, always holds tightly to his blue security blanket, right there, as he utters the words, fear not, drops the blanket. One careful observer and writer notes, it's pretty clear what Charles Scholz was saying through this. And it's so simple, 
It's brilliant. The birth of Jesus separates us from our fears. The birth of Jesus frees us from habits we are unable or unwilling to break ourselves. The birth of Jesus allows us to simply drop the false security we have been grasping so tightly and learn to trust and cling to him instead. Fear not, the angels declared. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Christ, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angels, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And Linus walks off the stage and says, straight looking into Charlie Brown's eyes, that's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. That's what Christmas is all about. My question to you this afternoon, what is Christmas all about to you? Is it about the presents, the gifts? Is it about family? Is it about days off? What is Christmas all about to you? What does Jesus' incarnation, his coming, his birth, his earthly life, ministry, death, and resurrection mean for you and me? We're continuing our study in the gospel according to John in our series, In the Beginning Was the Word. And last Sunday I shared we have just one more sermon left, but actually we're going to break up today's passage to give you a smaller chunk today, and we'll look at the final verses next Sunday. Our passage this afternoon is the account of Peter's restoration. After he had denied Jesus three times, just as Jesus predicted he would, when Jesus appears to his disciples after his resurrection for the third time in John's account of the gospel. And what we find in these verses are some of the most precious words of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, which really sums up the purpose of why Jesus came. Herein lies the summary of what Christmas is really all about. So from John chapter 21, verses 15 through 20, just five verses, I want to share with you three hopeful affirmations of Christ's incarnation, of Jesus' coming to us as man. Three hopeful affirmations of Jesus' incarnation. In other words, three truths we can be certain of because Jesus came and died and rose again. Here is the outline so you know what's ahead. Because Jesus died and rose again, we can be sure of this. Jesus' commitment Jesus' commission, Jesus' calling. Jesus' commitment, commission, and calling. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I pray this message will remind you of the hope we have in Christ. In our deepest doubts, in our darkest disappointments, Jesus came for you and me. Amen? Jesus is with us. He is God, Emmanuel. Guests and visitors, welcome. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. You could have been anywhere on this Christmas afternoon, but you chose to be with us today. If you are here and you are not a Christian or are not sure that you are, we're so glad you are here. We especially welcome you. There's no better place for you to be on Christmas with Christ's people at Christ's church under Christ's words. We've been praying for you. Trust you being here is not by coincidence. God has a word for you. We pray that you will hear his words for you and that you will see Jesus Christ for who he truly is, King of kings and Lord of lords, deserving of our worship this afternoon and for all of our days. So without further ado, John chapter 21, verses 15 through 20. If you're new to the Bible, our passage can be found on page 907 of the Blue Bibles around you. The big numbers are the chapter numbers, the small numbers are the verse numbers. And as you listen, I want to encourage you to please keep your Bibles open and follow along 
for the entire duration of the message so that you can see and hear God's words for you. And by the way, if you do not have a Bible to read at home, please take one of those blue Bibles home with you as a gift from our congregation to help you better study God's word. Merry Christmas. Uh, John chapter 21, 15 through 20 says this. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This, he said, to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. The first hopeful affirmation of Jesus' incarnation, point number one, Jesus' commitment. Uh, The passage we have before us is a well-known conversation between Peter and Jesus recorded only in John's Gospel. As we looked at last week's passage, this is the third appearance of Jesus post-resurrection. The disciples had now truly believed in him, in who Jesus is, more than a mere man, more than a prominent prophet. They believed he was truly the Son of God. They knew Jesus was indeed God. Yet their belief in him and knowledge of him had not yet translated to how they ought to view themselves or how they ought to live in knowledge of him. They knew Jesus had forgiven them for deserting him in Jesus' direst moments of his torture, torture and crucifixion, but they just could not forgive themselves. They were clueless as to how Jesus' death and resurrection impacted them and their lives. And so we saw in the previous verses how Jesus brings them peace and imparts his spirit on them for their gladness, for their believing. And Jesus commissions them to extend the peace that they have attained through Jesus' death and resurrection, peace between God and man, and to proclaim Jesus' forgiveness to others, to share it, to tell them what Jesus had done. Well, perhaps it took the disciples some more convincing because in verses 1 through 15 in chapter 21, for whatever reason, we find seven of the 11 disciples back to where they started before they met Jesus, back to what they knew best, back to what they were comfortable with, back to fishing. And Jesus once again appears before them to meet them with much tenderness and patience and to remind them of their first calling, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And then Jesus invites the disciples to a nice breakfast on the beach over a charcoal fire. And our passage now turns to the specific dialogue between Peter and Jesus. And we can speculate with much certainty why Peter needed this special care. Peter had been the leader amongst the 12 disciples. Peter most likely had been the oldest of the disciples, the most influential. And one of the three of the closest disciples to Jesus. Yet because he was the closest... Because he was also the most outspoken, the most emotional, the foremost of the disciples, his denial and betrayal was also very heartbreaking, gut-wrenching, wasn't it? And if it had not been for God's mercy, at that moment, the rooster crowed after Peter denied Jesus three times. And that moment, Luke twenty-two sixty-one records, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. 
And Peter, remembering Jesus' words before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. It says, Peter went out and wept bitterly because he was so convicted by what he had just done. If it had not been Jesus' forgiveness through this very conversation, Peter might have fallen to the same tragic fate as Judas Iscariot, who hung himself to death after his own betrayal. Yet we see Peter is spared. Peter is restored here in this passage. Brothers and sisters, what a beautiful and timely reminder for us on Christmas. In the words of Pastor Sam Elberry, he reminds us, and I quote, We tend to think Christmas is for children or for the sentimental. In these days of concern over religious and cultural appropriation, some might think that Christmas should be just for Christians. But scripture shows us it is for the broken. In other words, Christmas is for all of us. God didn't come to this world to congratulate the successful and high-five those who have their lives put together. He came for those walking in darkness. Not, oh, come all ye faithful, joyful, and triumphant. Otherwise, none of us would be here today. No, Christmas is for the faithless, joyless, and the defeated. Close quote. These descriptions described Peter and the disciples that morning they went back to fishing. And if those words describe you this afternoon, the message of Christmas is for you. Jesus came for the defeated. Jesus came for the discouraged. Jesus came for the weary. So to the defeated, discouraged disciple Peter, Jesus asked the most searching question. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? You'll see in the passage, Jesus repeats, painfully repeats the question two more times in verse 16 and verse 17 in similar but nuanced ways. Peter is asked the same question three times. There's no doubt what Jesus is doing is to recount Peter's three denials in order to reinstate and restore Peter before the other disciples. That much is certain. Even the description of the fire, charcoal fire, that word in the original language is only used twice in John's gospel. The charcoal fire where Peter was present, warming himself on the night of Jesus' betrayal. And the charcoal fire here, where Jesus had prepared breakfast. There's a parallel there to draw the point. And so the question Jesus asked Peter was very symbolic and significant. The first time, Jesus adds, Do you love me more than these? The second and the third time, Jesus simply asked, Do you love me? So let's talk first about what Jesus is asking in the first question. What Jesus meant and why Jesus is asking this question. First of all, we can't be certain what Jesus meant by these. Do you love me more than these? There are three possibilities. Do you love me more than you love these disciples sitting around you? Second possibility, do you love me more than you love all this fishing gear, more than fishing itself? Third possibility, do you love me more than these other disciples do? The question's intention was one of comparison. Do you love me more than all of these Now, to question someone's love for you in this way may seem a bit strange or a bit suspicious. But read the Gospels, and there's a lot of background why Jesus' question is appropriate and necessary and significant to Peter and ultimately to us as Jesus' followers. Jesus is actually teaching us about his love for you and me. You see, Peter had always been one who was quick to pledge his love and loyalty to Jesus. 
In John 6.68, when many followers of Jesus turned away at the hard teachings of Jesus, Peter refused when Jesus asked the disciples, Do you also want to go away? Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. You may also remember Peter's great confession when Jesus asked his disciples, But who do you say that I am? And Peter responded with a glorious, divinely, heavenly inspired answer, doesn't he? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Just two weeks prior to Jesus' crucifixion, when Jesus told his disciples that he would have to go away and that where he is going, they cannot come. In John 13, 37, Peter responds to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. In the Garden of Gethsemane, on the night of Jesus' betrayal, it's Peter who attempts to protect Jesus and cuts off Malchus, the Roman soldier's ear. And it was this very Peter who denied Jesus so outrightly, so passionately, so repeatedly, three times. Just go back and read the account in John 18. And hence Jesus' question to Peter, the self-pledged loyalist turned betrayer, now despondent. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Jesus' soul-searching question was meant to draw Peter back to his first love, to the hour of Peter's first calling, from whence Peter's life was forever changed. We see how Jesus calls Peter by his original birth name, Simon. You see, Jesus is recalling for Peter that moment when Jesus saw Simon and called him for the first time. You are Simon, the son of John. From here on out, you shall be called Peter. I think Jesus meant to remind Peter, apart from me, you are not Peter the Rock. Apart from me, you are Simon. Apart from me, your loyalty and commitment to me is limited and fleeting. But in me, your love is genuine. Your love is secure. So Simon, do you truly love me more than these? By Peter's answer, we learn so much of the nature of God's love for us and our love for him, don't we? Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. What Peter was saying was, yes, Lord, I do love you. But my love, again, is so limited. My love is so fickle and my love is so small. But you know my heart. You know my sincerity. You know I do love you. Yes, Lord. Peter had experienced God's love through Jesus. Peter had experienced Jesus' forgiveness, and Jesus was recalling back to Peter of his first love. Yes, Lord, you know I love you. I think even as Peter was responding and answering Jesus, he must have grasped the meaning of the words of the hymn that we sing often, My Jesus, I love thee. Again, having experienced his own failure, having experienced his sins and shortcomings, and now in understanding true forgiveness, in experiencing the true love of Jesus, which he had shown through his death on the cross, and through this very moment of restoration, Peter must have felt, if ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. Now there's a lot of debate, perhaps many of you have been taught this way, And the interpretation of this text in the original language, how Jesus asked Peter whether he agapes him, agape love, which refers to God's perfect, divine, steadfast love, to which Peter responds, Lord, you know I phileo you. Phileo love, which means brotherly love. Agape and phileo in the original Greek means love, but love in different degrees. 
And so theologians have debated whether Jesus is demanding of Peter agape love. Do you agape me? But Peter keeps responding, Lord, yes, Lord, I phileo you. And so for Peter's final third question, Jesus asks Peter, do you phileo me? That's what Jesus asks the third time. And many preachers and theologians have argued Jesus is lessening his demand for Peter and meeting Peter where he is and requiring of Peter a lesser love which is pretty mind-blowing and makes somewhat of a good argument if indeed that is what Jesus is doing. But I think that's wrong exegesis. I think that's rexegesis, as we talked about last week. That's not the right interpretation. Why? Because other times in the Gospel of John, the author John often interchanges between agape and phileo as a means of literary variety. Simply, John uses both agape and phileo to mean love and doesn't distinguish the degrees in other passages. Furthermore, if Jesus is really asking Peter, Peter, do you 100% love me? And Peter is answering, Lord, you know that I love you with a 60% love. Why would Peter answer three times? Yes, Lord, you know I 60% love you. Peter should say, no, Lord, I can't love you with agape love, 100% love, but I can love you with 60% phileo love. But as we see, Peter seems to be responding to Jesus by saying, Yes, Lord, what you are asking of me, you know. You know my heart. You know my love for you. Again, brothers and sisters, however you interpret these verses is not of great importance. But I hope you are getting the point and the emphasis clearly, the nature of God's love. As John, 1 John 4.19 teaches us, we love because he first loved us. Amen? It is Jesus who comes to restore downtrodden Peter. It is Jesus who comes to remind Peter of his first calling and of his first love. It is Jesus who comes to remind Peter of his commitment, of Jesus' own commitment to him. So brothers and sisters in Christ, God loves us with an eternal and unconditional love, with agape love. And though our love may never measure up to that kind of agape love, he Jesus is committed to us. He loves us to the end. He will not leave us or forsake us or ever fail us. Brothers and sisters, this is the good news of Christmas. This is the good news of Jesus' incarnation. Him being born to us, Romans 5.8 says, But God showed his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Ephesians 5.2 says, Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And again, 1 John 4.9 says, In this is the love of God which was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. Amen? Jesus says in John 10.10, The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. Brothers and sisters, this is the hope of Christmas. Jesus is committed to His own. He came for those who are his, which leads us to the next point. Second, hopeful affirmation of Jesus' incarnation. Point number two, Jesus is commissioning. Simply, we learned that Jesus' question whether Peter loved him or not wasn't suspicious or speculative or assuming or self-serving at all. This is why Christianity is so entirely unique and different than any other religion. It is not self-serving at all. Because to love Jesus means to love others. Jesus directs Peter's responses 
Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And how does Jesus answer? Feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. The nuances of feed and tend, lamb and sheep are significant. It points out Jesus' instruction to feed and care for his sheep, young and old, whether new or old Christians, whether immature or mature believers, feed. And not only feed, care for them as well. It was instruction given specifically to Peter and the disciples as apostles who would go on to establish the first churches, who would model for all other Christians and churches for generations to come what the foremost task of under-shepherds of the chief shepherd Jesus ought to do to feed and to care for his sheep. Now, there's a lot of theology packed in that phrase. And again, the misinterpretation of these verses have been the source of great heresies in Christianity regarding the mission of the church, even to this day. Churches are confused as to how to rightly and biblically feed and tend Jesus' sheep. And again, this is where the right understanding of biblical ecclesiology A biblical understanding of what the church is is so very, very important. Christian churches, brothers and sisters, are to proclaim and protect the what and the who of the gospel. What is the gospel? Who belongs in the church as converted, born-again believers? It is the authority Jesus gave to his disciples and to us in Matthew 16 and Matthew 18 and Matthew 28, the Great Commission, which says this, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus had said in Matthew 16, upon this rock, upon the confession that Peter made, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. You see, our Lord Jesus Christ in telling Peter to feed and tend his sheep and to feed them by the words of Scripture, to teach them the truth of God's Word, to train them up in righteousness, to instruct, to rebuke and correct by the inspired words of God, and to disciple them in it, to carefully keep watch over their souls, the souls of the sheep. Such is the primary task of the shepherd, to preach and pastor, to teach and equip, to counsel and guide by the words of the Bible. Preacher pastors are not to entertain to stand up here on a weekly basis and tell you nice and funny stories. I am not funny at all, so sorry about that. Not to lead in any way of programs or social services or any other distractions. Preacher pastors are to feed and tend by God's word. Just as a side, on behalf of the pastors of this church, Jeremy and Jacob, we are so thankful for you. We love you. Thank you for the great joy and privilege of affirming us as your pastors. Thank you for allowing us to serve this young and vibrant congregation who are so eager and united and sacrificial for God and for others. Thank you for joyfully submitting to us in accordance with Hebrews 13, 17, as you submit to Christ. Thank you for praying for us, encouraging us with texts and emails, sharing us ways we can pray for you and best serve you. Thank you for giving us thoughtful feedback regarding our teaching and pastoring. And in agreement with 3 John 4, As John says, I have no greater joy than this than to hear that my children, my people, are walking in the truth. I just want to take this time on Christmas Sunday to thank you for serving and committing to this church body in 2022. And I want to encourage us, let's continue to serve him by feeding and tending his sheep in 2023. Amen?
think I hopefully drew it out. But notice Jesus doesn't instruct Peter to feed and tend goats or feed and tend cows or dogs or other people. Jesus said, feed and tend my sheep. Jesus had said in John 10.27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. You see, God's sheep are known to him. God's sheep are known to him. They listen to him. They follow him. They love him as we love one another. In John 13.35, Jesus said, By this all people will know that you are my disciples. You want to be known as Jesus' disciple? How will they know? If you have love for one another. So brothers and sisters, be reminded of this truth. Loving Jesus is loving fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen? I'm so encouraged by Brother Josh Ardos. Last week cleaning the trash multiple times after carols and coffee. Thank you, brother. While it could have been easy for you to just sit around and stand and talk to people, you are serving the church. Thank you, Josh, for loving your brothers and sisters this way. I'm so encouraged to hear about Brandon and Swain Lee driving clear to the airport all the way to BWI on Christmas Eve morning. Thank you, Brandon and Swain, wherever you are. I'm so encouraged by Sharif and Abby Wilson hosting a Christmas Eve brunch yesterday, especially inviting those who may not have family in the area. Thank you so much, brother and sister, for your hospitality. There are so many more of you who serve so faithfully and sacrificially, but you don't need my recognition. Jesus knows his own. Brothers and sisters, the reason why Jesus came to this world to break down the dividing wall of hostility between God and man and between man and man. Galatians 3.28 says we are one in Christ. As a church body, we don't have to be all alike. Amen? Some are short, some are tall, some are young, some are old, some are good-looking, some are challenged, some are mature, some are immature, some are white, some are black, some are Asian, some are Hispanic. But we all come from various backgrounds with various gifts the Lord has gifted us with. To what? To build his church. To advance his gospel. To glorify him in all things and always at all times. Let it be an encouragement to you. We don't all have to be best friends. But we are family. The blood that has cleansed us from sin is the blood that binds us together. Jesus came so that we don't have to be self-preserving or self-protecting. Jesus says, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve And to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus says in John 15, 13, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Much more than laying down his life, much, much more and much greater than that, Jesus Christ became a curse for us, says Galatians 3, 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming for us a curse. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, For our sake God made Christ to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Such is the Jesus, brothers and sisters, we have been saved by. Such is the Jesus we serve. Such is Jesus who calls us to do the same. Jesus' incarnation commissions us to love him by serving his sheep, which leads me to our final point, a very short point, which we will expend more on next week's sermon. Third point, third hopeful affirmation of Jesus' coming. Jesus' calling. Look with me to verses 18 through 20, which says this. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you are young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. 
And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Simply, these verses tells us Jesus calls Peter not only in a life of service, but to a sacrificial death. As verse 19 clearly clarifies, this Jesus said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God in. Now, church history records Peter would go on proclaiming Jesus' resurrection to everywhere he is called to, boldly, confidently, in the power of the Holy Spirit, until he is eventually put to death by persecution by Emperor Nero. Nero sentences Peter to the same death of his Savior, crucifixion on the cross. Yet Peter says, I am unworthy even to die in the same manner as my Lord. And he asks the emperor to be crucified upside down on the cross. Now this may sound wretched and horrific and morbid to some of you, especially if you're not a Christian, but you really have to think, what would motivate someone, particularly someone who had failed Jesus so greatly, someone who was so discouraged and despondent, depressed and downtrodden, to become such a courageous model and leader of the Christian church? What would have caused this to happen? Brothers and sisters, guests and visitors, love. Love is the motivator. Love is the reason. Have you ever heard of anyone dying for someone they don't even love? It doesn't make sense, does it? It's the reason why Philippians 2 tells us Christ humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Why? For love. For sinners. For his sheep. And it's the reason why Peter and all who love Jesus follows exactly the same way. Brothers and sisters, guests and visitors, this is the good news of Jesus Christ. It's the best news you will ever hear. That a holy and loving God created us for his glory. And although man chose to rebel against God by rejecting his word, choosing to be our own gods, hence we were separated from God forever. God had a plan from the very beginning to save a people for himself to know his great love. And that plan, of course, we know was to send Jesus Christ, who is truly God and truly man, to live the life that we could not live, to die the death that we should have died, to suffer the punishment that we would have suffered in eternal hell. Jesus paid in full by dying for us as a substitute on the cross so that we may be forgiven of our sins entirely, completely past, present, and future. And by repentance and faith, that we may be granted his righteousness to live the new life now, justified, sanctified, and finally will be glorified unto eternal life with him and all who love his name. That's the good news. That's the message of Jesus Christ. That's the good news of Christmas. So if you are here and you are not a Christian or are not sure that you are, please consider what Christmas is all about. Not about gift exchanges. It's about the greatest of all gifts given to us by God. I want to encourage you, please receive him today by repentance. That means to turn from trusting in the things of this world and of yourself Believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again for you and trust him with your whole life. Whatever it is that you're going through, whatever circumstances of life that life has brought before you, trust him today and forevermore. I'd love to talk to you at the close of service. I'll be standing at the back door or talk to anybody smiling next to you to find out how you can better follow Jesus for the rest of your days. Brothers and sisters in Christ, Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whew. What hope and privilege we have, whether in life or death, to know him, to love him, to serve him. It is for this reason Jesus came, why Jesus was born. Amen? Let me conclude with a prayer from Valley of Vision titled, The Gift of Gifts, to warm your heart. 
toward Jesus and why he loves you so much and why you love him. Oh, source of all good, what shall I render to you for the gift of gifts, your own dear son? Herein is the wonder of wonders. He came below to raise me above, was born like me, that I might become like him. Herein is love. When I cannot rise to him, he draws near on wings of grace to raise me to himself. Herein is power. When deity and humanity were infinitely apart, he united them in indissoluble unity, the uncreate and the created. Herein is wisdom. When I was undone, with no will to return to him and no intellect to devise recovery, he came, God incarnate, to save me to the uttermost, as man to die my death, to shed satisfying blood on my behalf, to work out a perfect righteousness for me. O God, take me in spirit to the watchful shepherds and enlarge my mind. Let me hear good tidings of great joy and hearing believe, rejoice, praise and adore. My conscience bathed in an ocean of repose. My eyes lifted up to a reconciled father. Place me with the ox, donkey, camel, and goat to look with them upon my Redeemer's face and in him account myself delivered from sin. Let me with Simeon clasp the newborn child to my heart, embrace him with undying faith, exalting that he is mine and I am his. In him, you have given me so much that heaven can give no more. Brothers and sisters, such is the gift of gifts we received on Christmas. Brothers and sisters, for this reason Jesus came and was born to us, for us to know his commitment to us, for us to know his commission, what he is calling us to, and for us to know his calling to deny ourselves, to pick up the cross and follow him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the good news of Christmas. We thank you that as your people, we can ponder upon this good news every single week that Jesus came and lived and died and rose again for our sake. Father, we do pray that if there's anyone here this afternoon who do not know you or are uncertain that you are the Christ, Father, reveal yourself to them through this word. Bear much fruit through what they heard. Father, the word says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the words of Christ. And so we trust that these words that were spoken are your words and will bear fruit in the lives of the hearers. Father, thank you for the good news of Christmas, that we have the privilege and the joy to share it with others. Father, help us to be faithful witnesses and pray that we would glorify you and advance your gospel and build up this church together in 2023 for your glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.